questions? Complaints? Mm -hmm. Disagreements? <laughs> Special cases? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I really struggle with um, what is the truth and what is my view. Mm -hmm. Could you comment on that? How, how do you know something is the truth and not just the filter through which you look at the world? It's a very good question, and it's a constant investigation because we're all working until we get to that place where we fully realize the way things are and we've lost all... Um, potential for greed, hatred, or delusion, we're working with a certain amount of, you know, obscurity, or, um, you know, our, our vision is somewhat obscured. So, a very good way is to check it against these kinds of teachings. If anything goes the other way from what those teachings are, look at that really carefully. Um, the Buddha gives some very good guidelines around how to evaluate whether or not someone's a good teacher. It's very good to have a teacher. And friends that you feel are also examining this. Because we can help each other see through our own blind spots. When you, when you look at a teacher, the Buddha said, look to see if they would say or do anything out of greed that would lead people the wrong way. And you have to watch them for a long time. If they would say or do anything out of hatred or ignorance that would lead people the wrong way. And um, just really reflecting on that. And The first, that first step is your question. How can I, how can I know that this view? So much of the time, we just, we just take our habits and ways of thinking and perceptions. We're not even aware of them, and we're not even looking. We're not even trying to to see whether or not this is really on track. This is true. So that's that's the very first crucial step. I think the more that we listen to the teachings, the better. Like they say, hearing the Dhamma frequently taught gives us different ideas about how to look at things. But still keep in mind, you know, do, is this what I'm hearing really in line with what the Buddha actually taught? Yes. Is there guidance for the um, position of the tongue while observing the breath? Yeah, usually it floats to the roof of the mouth. I know there are some some teaching and systems that are very specific about that, but in general, not in the Pali canon. Yes. At the beginning of that, they talk about avoiding people who are, you know, like not supportive of the path. They're violent or they're angry. Or 
I have foolish ways. I have foolish ways. Many of those are in my family. So what, practically, what do you actually do? It's a tough one, and there's no real, you know, there's no definite answer. You have to look at the situation, but let's start with the non-family ones, and then we'll move in. Um, Sometimes people come, start coming to teachings, and they start to pick them up, and then they start to feel uncomfortable with their friends, because their friends are, you know, partying and doing all kinds of things that they start to realize they don't want to do anymore. But there's a there's a, a, a difficult period there where they start to lose the friends. And really and truly, so many of the people in my life are not in my life anymore. But when you start to see how this practice and path brings so much joy and so much relief, and then you just find friends who are doing the same thing, and it's just such a gift that you know you can you can care about people, but you don't have to spend a lot of time with them. And as one fairly wise person in my life once said, just because you're related to someone doesn't mean you have to like them. <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to get along. It doesn't mean you have to spend time together. So it depends a bit on what family members it is. There are some of them that it really is okay to, for them to have their thing and their way of living, and you have your thing and your way of living, and you meet on Christmas, and that's enough. Or maybe it's someone like a parent that really needs your care, and you have to be there. And then you really practice with it. And it can become such an important practice to how do I stay um, centered in and, you know, connected to the, the virtue that I'm trying to develop and not follow in these ways. Because some of these things in our immediate family are so conditioned from such a long time that I remember being in my 40s or probably in my 40s going back home and all of a sudden you're 12 again. (laughs) And all those old things are coming up. And and so to to really work with um, what's going on in that so that we don't slip back into some foolish behaviors of our own. And then there's also the just accepting people as they are and not trying to change them. I tried to change my mother for a long time. You know how that went. <laughs> I had to change. And I, and I could change for the better and let her be as she is and love her and respect her for the good in her. She's a lot of good. And just kind of like know and understand the unskillful parts. And like, okay. And I have to say now she's 90 and I'm looking after her. And many people comment and have for the last maybe, I don't know, years, how many years, that we have such a good relationship. And I say, 
I have worked for decades. <laughs> and it's true because I, I needed to shift a lot of things inside. I needed to come to more of a true um, picture, the reality, the, the real truth about why the things she was saying were so upsetting to me. That there was a, a woundedness inside that kept getting reacted you know, reactive, and I, and I, you know, used it as a practice to really uncover those things and work with them. And once you kind of open up the wound and you allow some real work with it, then it has a chance to heal. So that's a little bit without knowing the situation. Anybody got the feeling that this is just way too idealistic? Not necessarily too idealistic, but I worry a little about this whole thing of surrounding myself with people who think the same things I do, and um, it just becoming too uh, myopic, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've seen that sometimes where people feel like they can only associate with the people in their group. And then there's a very, there's a real danger there of becoming like superior to everybody else. And that's not what this is. This is more about, you don't have to associate with people who think like you on everything, but they need to be virtuous. It's much easier to be virtuous when you're around people who are virtuous. So you could surround yourself with people who think better than you do. <laughs> it's like playing tennis with a really good partner. You know? It makes you better. But, um, yeah. I, but then I'm still, I mean, it's, that's still a narrow path. Mm. You know. Um, and I'm just thinking of the election, you know, and how much I didn't see and how much I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And and that's because of this. It's because of me surrounding myself too much with people, like-minded people. And I, I'm not saying, you know, I should put myself with, you know, people who are doing something harmful or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it isn't that. Um, although I, some of those things I did see is sort of harmful. Um, I'm struggling with this a little bit yeah. right now. Yeah. I'm glad you're bringing it up because I think a lot of us are struggling with things in that area. And what I would say is, even though we haven't discussed it, I'm pretty sure I'm related to and know quite well people who would have handled that election differently than I did. And... I think it's good to talk about what they see and what they want and what they feel is going to happen if they do it, if they make this decision or that decision. But the truth is, a lot, they're good too. They're they're living, you know, the ones you really want to spend time with, are the ones who are living a virtuous life, even if they have a different idea of how to make the world better. 
they probably still want to make the world better. And, you know, it, it can come to the place where the difference is, um, do you want to help the people who need help, or do you just want to protect and hold on to what you have? And even when we come, any of us comes to that place of just wanting to protect and hold on to what we have and not care about other people, there's still virtue in there somewhere. So it's a little like we have to know our strength. To not, to, if, I mean, it's not like you only talk to people that are just like you or, following this expression of the path, but choosing how much to talk to people who are really closed down and are developing an an attitude of hatred or discrimination, maybe not so much of that, but also a, a recognition that we all have some of that inside of us. And and to be willing to to know to know that that makes sense it's not Somewhat. as it's not as like rigid and unforgiving as it could sound it's just that it's a whole lot better to be with friends who are doing good things especially if you think of like young people You want your kids to go around with the kids who aren't going to do the vandalism. They're not going to burn down the community center. That just happened here where I live. A couple boys playing with fire burned down the community center. And it's just millions of dollars and a lot of disruption for a lot of people. You know, foolish ways. You don't need friends like that. You need to help each other not do things like that. So that's kind of where it's at. It's not about, oh, I just have to stick with my own little group that only looks at Buddhism and only believes in a certain kind of politics. In that that context, can you speak a little about um, expanding the heart to include that and loving kindness? I think I'm confused. Yeah, so we need kindness and compassion and wisdom. So the heart can have this love for everyone, every being, and a respect for the virtue in them and know exactly where they're not virtuous and to not follow them ourselves. But we don't condemn them or discount them. We may not spend as much time with them, but as we, as we practice in this um, development of the heart makes it larger and larger, and we and we practice more loving kindness and more compassion and more appreciative joy and more equanimity. Those are called the divine abidings, the Brahma Viharas. 
and there's one of them or more is applicable in absolutely every situation. So <coughs> loving kindness is like the sun and shines on everyone, but it's it's there when people are happy. It can be there other times too, but it's the prominent, you know, this is people are doing good things and people are happy. And then compassion is when people are suffering. And it's a different energy. It doesn't mean loving kindness isn't there, but compassion is in the forefront when people are suffering. When people are doing good, advancing in life, good things are happening to them, then appreciative joy. You just... Like when I first told this, um, my son's first abbot, Ajahn Jayasaro in Thailand, that I was, I was, I decided to become a nun. He said, my heart is full of mudita for you. It's like, yeah. yeah. And when people are doing things that are unwholesome, then it's equanimity, evenness of mind. It's not like anger and, you know, it's, it's evenness of mind. It's like, Okay, you know, this is how things are right now. This is the way they're looking at things, the way they're thinking. These are the habits. It's like, okay, evenness of mind. But it's still this um, uplifted internal peace that's behind it. But the wisdom helps us see. And so... You can love people when they're doing bad things. It's, you know, and know that this is bringing um, sadness and grief to them. More to them than to whoever they're affecting, actually. Does that help? <clears throat>